If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we're going to look at um, verse 9. We're going to look at this in the New Living Translation. We've been talking about the fact that we are the righteous, and we're going to continue on with that. Um, we are the righteousness of God, not because of, again, our works and our behavior, but the behavior of Jesus and the works of Jesus, which included him going up on the cross and uh, because he shed his blood for us and put his body out there and became sin for us, we were made right with God. Amen? We're going to read some stuff about that um, because you should never just take the statement of a preacher, but also see it in the words yourself. Amen? Amen. So let's, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 9, and we're just going to read this all the way down and through. <clears throat> it says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Verse 10. It says, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Let's keep going. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Verse 13. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. So it's, it's kind of painting a picture that everybody has some issues. Amen? Let's keep going. 15. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't uh, know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Y'all can just keep rolling, keep rolling with it. So obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For the law commands, for its purpose, okay, y'all with me? All right, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from, what does it say? having excuses, and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. Now, let's read this real quick in the King James, because this is very important, because there are many people who will tell you that you should live your life by the law. But this scripture is saying very, very plainly what the purpose of the law is. So in the King James Version, it says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become what? Guilty before God. Let's look at this in the uh, Amplified. I'm just looking at it in a couple of different versions so that we can see it a couple of different, uh, the actual meaning. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that the murmurs, the excuses of every mouth may be hushed and all the world may be held accountable to God. Verse 20. For no person will be justified which means made righteous, acquitted, and judged acceptable in his sight by observing the works prescribed in the law. That's pretty, pretty important stuff right there, right? It's saying no one will be made right with God by doing what the law says. That's, that's what it says, right? For the real function of the law it's not to transform you, it's not to change you, it's not to bring you closer to God, not in that direct sense. 
But the real function of the law is to make men recognize. The law causes you to recognize. It causes you to see something and be conscious of sin. The law is designed to make you conscious of sin. Now don't complicate that. That means exactly what it says. There's a speed limit out there on Highway 6. Is there not? I don't know what it is, but there's a speed limit out there on Highway 6. And when you see that sign, it informs you of the law. And that tells you that if you don't, if you go faster than this sign, you are now aware that you're breaking the law. But if there's no sign, how would you know you're breaking the law? The law is a big sign that says, this is right, this is wrong. And it was designed to show man and make him recognize his wrong. If you understand that, say amen. amen. But the speed sign out there is not necessarily designed to transform your thinking about speeding. It won't change. If you got a speeding habit, that sign will not necessarily transform or change you. It'll just make you aware of when you're doing wrong. Now that cop who pulls you over and that ticket and all that other stuff that comes with it and that fine and that class you gotta go to and all those other things, that may, tr that may transform your thinking. But the sign itself has no power to transform. And see, and what we've done in the body of Christ is we've taken the law and we've made it the transformative power of God and said, if you do this, then you'll be all that God has you to be. But the law was never able to be fulfilled or done 100% by any other person other than Jesus. Okay, so let's keep reading. For the real function of the law is to make men recognize and be, cons uh, and be conscious of sin, not mere perception, but an acquaintance with sin which works towards repentance, faith, and holy character. Amen? Let's keep going. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed. Interesting, it says, independently and altogether apart from the law. So I do not, I want you to hear what I'm saying. It says independently and altogether apart from the law. The law helps me understand that I have a sin issue. The law does not make me righteous. The law is what points me to the one who does make me righteous because he appeared independently and apart from that law. Amen? So anybody who tries to mix the two together saying you need this in order to have that, that's not what that says. It says, but now the righteousness of God, which is what we're all after, which is what we all actually have, if you believe on what Jesus did, has been revealed independently and altogether apart from the law, although actually it is attested by the law and the prophets. So they talk about it. That's why you don't throw away the Old Testament. That's why you don't throw away the law. They all point to, but they do not transform you. They are not what you're supposed to be living by. You live by the fact that I am the righteousness of God. But you definitely can go back into the Old Testament in, in its entirety, and it'll point you to Jesus. 
and you can go to the specific part of the Bible that is considered the law, and you'll still see things that'll point you right to Jesus. But to try to mix that law with what it takes to be righteous, which is just to believe, is where you'll be in error. And that's what we've been taught in church most of our lives. Is that, yeah, Jesus died for your sins, but you need to make sure you do all of this stuff. And once you do all of this stuff and believe on Jesus, then you'll be right. That's not what this is. In order to be righteous, I just need to believe. And see, and that's the problem for many Christians today, or not many Christians, many sinners today. They think they still got to do the stuff and believe. So when you go and talk to your cousin and them or the person out on the street or whomever else that you're trying to witness to, what they have in the back of their head is, but I got to do all that stuff and I'm not ready. The only thing you got to be ready for is to believe in what Jesus did. Your changed behavior comes after your belief. You don't change first and then believe. You can't change until you believe. I said you can't change until you believe. You can't quit your lying. You can't quit your stealing. You can't quit your, your sleeping around. You can't quit your homosexuality. You can't quit. You, you, you can try with willpower, but it ain't going to stick. Because you need the transformative power of God on the inside of you to be changed. How are you going to deliver yourself without the deliverer? But yet we, we, we try to act like we had it all together before somehow I guess we got saved and then we got saved and it just kept us even more together. So then people come into the body or people are approached by other Christians and they're looking and saying, wait, well, what must I do to be saved? Well, you're going to have to put on some different clothes than that. I, I tell you, I start there. You're going to have to smell a little different because you smell like weed. And so you can't come in here smelling like that. Or you're drunk. You can't come in here like that. I mean, like I said before, I've heard stories. Uh, I've, I've even heard stories of somebody about to do that to somebody or tried to do that to somebody here. person came in and, and the clothes wasn't 100% what, what, what one would think it needs to be. And, and, and somebody offers somebody a jacket. If I see them, I'm going to throw that jacket at your face. Leave that person alone. The fact that they came to the house of God is showing that they believe. Now let them finish getting what they need to get from God and then while you're at it, you put some money in their bank account so they can go buy some new clothes in if it bothers you so much. But don't you dare give somebody something different to wear as if you were doing it, everything perfect before you got saved because that communicates the wrong message. You're now pushing that person towards works. You gotta work to be right. You gotta dress to be right. You gotta talk to be right. You gotta act to be right. And then some people end up having to take it another step because they see, oh, the pastor got a nice car or sister so-and-so got a nice house. So, so if I don't have what they got, I, it must be something wrong in my life. All because of this works law mentality. And so people end up getting off and instead of looking at what Jesus did, they're now looking at what can I do? Verse 22. It says, namely, the righteousness of God, which comes by what? Which comes by what? Dressing right? Smelling right? Talking right? No, by believing. Where is believing done? You're a spirit, soul, 
and you live in a body. Where is your believing done? In your mind, your will, your emotions, also known as, AKA, your soul. Your spirit is saved and then it's sealed. And it's perfect. It's gonna, it's, your spirit is as perfect as it's ever gonna get, and it's perfect. But that, that soul, that's where things can change. And, and that's where your believing's done. So namely, the righteousness of God comes by taking that mind and believing with personal trust and confident reliance on the law, on Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Please don't use the law to steal Jesus' thunder. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who changes. Jesus is the one who made us righteous. Not the law. It requires our personal trust and confident reliance. When you rely on, so you relied on that pew before you sat down. A decision was made in your mind that it's going to hold my behind up and not hit the ground. Amen? And then you demonstrated that with your what? Actions. Belief always precedes action. You can't change. You can't act right until your believing is right. And so once I believe in him and on him, now some change can start to take place. It says, and it is meant, and it is meant, what? His righteousness, for all who believe. Now, I love that part because how much is left after all? So this excludes no one. This doesn't exclude a male or a female or a child or whether you're black, white, Asian, whatever else. It doesn't exclude uh, whether you used to be Muslim, whether you're Muslim right now. It doesn't matter. It said if you believe on Jesus, you are now the righteousness of God. But wait, they have to repent of all the stuff they did. Show me, show me where it said that in that scripture. My belief is my repentance. My belief is my change of mind heading in the opposite direction. Again, quit this crap of this you try to put rules on people. I can't believe on him. I can't personally trust in him and confidently rely on him without having turned my back to all that other stuff and headed in the opposite direction. But because I didn't stand before you and say the magic words, you try to tell me that my belief ain't real. Maybe I don't even know the Bible like that to know how to technically repent. Repentance is a matter of your heart that says, I no longer want to do that. I don't believe that anymore. This is what I believe, and this is where I'm headed. That is what is required in believing. Then it says, for there's no distinction, verse 23, since all have sinned and are falling short of the honor and glory which God bestowed and received. So, so I love this, that grace equalizes everybody. Doesn't matter whether you're rich, whether you're poor, doesn't matter who you are, everybody, he says, have sinned and are falling short of the honor and glory which God bestows and receives. Verse 24, all are justified and made upright. Since everybody was falling into sin, everybody are being, is being justified and made upright and in right standing with God. What's that first word? freely and gratuitously. 
It doesn't cost us anything. Now, it cost Jesus his life, but it didn't cost us anything. The only thing we have to do is believe. God's not asking you to pay what Christ, has, what Jesus has already paid. I said this, I said this before, I'll say it again. Jesus, uh, God purchased you with the currency of the blood of Jesus, and he is already pleased with his purchase. Your works will never be more valuable than the blood of Jesus. His blood is the highest currency that has ever been. And it paid for you and me. And so now we have this righteousness and it's free and it's gratuitous by his, I don't preach that great stuff, that's what I'm saved by. That's the gospel. His unmerited favor, something I don't earn, something I can't deserve, and his mercy. When I did deserve punishment, when I did deserve hell, I didn't get it. Through the redemption, which is provided, once again, in who? Christ Jesus. So where are my works in all of this? Works ain't an issue. Where's my sin in all of this? I don't know, but I know it was there, and now I know it's paid for. My sin is no longer a problem with God. I said your sin is no longer a problem with God. How come? Christ, or Jesus, paid the price. See, we got to stop just saying this Christianese stuff and not know what it really means, and not really live by it. He paid the price means sin and its penalties no longer have any effect in your life. Yeah, but what if you just go back and do something? Well, that's where 1 John uh, 2, I think it's verse 1 or verse 2 comes into play that it says, hey, I'm writing this so you don't sin, but if you do, you've got to advocate with the Father. Still covered, still taken care of. And that just bothers some people. Oh, you're just preaching people can go sin. No, what we're preaching is the truth. And here's what I've lived and what I understand and what many of you have done the same. When we started to actually understand grace and started to actually live free of condemnation and shame from the law, when we started to live free from the constant reminder that you're a no good sinner and da-da-da-da-da, which is not the truth anymore, something began to happen we begin to hear more about who we were in the righteousness of God. And the more we were reminded, the more we could hear the Holy Ghost. And the more we heard him, the more he became Lord of our life. And the more he became Lord of our life, the more we became who Christ created us to be, or God created us to be. And the more his love began to all of a sudden be shed abroad and the fruit of love began to come out of our lives. And guess what happened to sin? It withered up and began to die. That's the truth. The more you hear about who you are, the less you will continue to be who you're not. You're not sinners. That's what the Bible says. You're the righteous. But if I get up here and talk to you about sin and sin and sin and sin and sin, what am I doing? I'm just putting up more and more signs in front of you. More and more law in front of you. And what are you going to do? You're just going to be conscious of your sin. And what you're going to do? You're going to keep sinning. You're going to keep sinning. But if I show you that where it says, he paid the price for your sins, and this is who you are, then we tap into who is really on the inside of you, and that's the Holy Ghost. And then it, the fruit of his love 
can come out of your life. That's how you transform. If you understand that, say amen. Let's go to uh, verse 25. It says, whom God put forth before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and propitiation by his blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation to be received. See, you don't have to be afraid of these words, propitiation and atonement and reconciliation, redemption. Those are words that used to scare most believers. Because it was like propitiation, redemption, atonement. What's all that mean? You're right with God. That's, that's what it means. You're right with God. Jesus made you right with God. And you receive all of this. It says to be received, how? Through faith. Not through works, not through performance, but through faith. This was to show God's righteousness, not yours. This is God doing this by his love, showing his righteousness. This is your father showing you how good he is to you. This ain't about you, it's about him and how good he is to you. Your dad wanted to show off to you. Your dad wanted to show you that I love you more than your mistakes. That even though you've made mistakes and even though you make mistakes and even though you will make mistakes, the bottom line is I love you. I don't know what parent doesn't want to do that. And yet we've made God this evil God who is looking to zap you uh, the moment you make a mistake. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance, he had passed over and ignored former sins without punishment. Let's keep going. It was to demonstrate and prove at the present time in the now season that he himself is righteous and that he justifies and accepts as righteous, he accepts as righteous who? Him who has true faith in Jesus. How many folks got true faith in Jesus? I'm talking about how many folks really believe. I'm not talking about you talking about you believe. I'm talking about you really believe. You got true belief, true confidence in Jesus, then God says you're accepted. Wait, I thought I had to say the magic word, and you're accepted. The words you say are just an action behind your belief. Do you believe in Jesus? Then you're the righteousness of God. Verse 27. Then what becomes of our pride? See, here's the actual issue, especially with some of my Christian brothers and sisters who've been saved for, you know, a little bit of time. Then what becomes of our pride and our boasting? What becomes of I've been saved and I'm on the usher board and I'm this, that, and the other? What becomes of our badges? You know, we, we're kind of like Christian military where you got all these badges and all your stripes and all your accomplishments and all your merit badges like a Boy Scout or something like that. What becomes of all of that? Because you didn't earn this is what he's saying, what Paul is saying. You don't deserve this, not based on your merit. He says it is excluded. It's banished is ruled out entirely. <whistles> On what principle? On the principle of doing good deeds? No, 
but on the principle of faith. Is it not right there in the Bible? Good deeds have their place, but that place is not to make you righteous. I say good deeds, good works, acting right has its place, but that place is not to make you righteous. We got good works out of place. We've put good works in front of getting saved. We've put good works right after getting saved to stay saved. That's the wrong position for good works. Good works has nothing to do with you being and maintaining your salvation. That freaks people out. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that people can dance? I sure am. Are you saying that if somebody does this or that and other, if they listen to a secular song at a party and it had a curse word in it, they not going to hell? No, they not. Yeah, that freaks some people out. You're preaching sin. No, I'm not. I'm just reading the Bible to you. That's why, and that's why sometimes people don't want to come to church. Are oh, they just going to read that Bible? Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. That's, that, if, you, if you want a Bible, read and believe in church, and we're going to make it plain to you, welcome. Welcome home. Verse uh, 28. It says, For we hold that a man is justified. Now, he, he, do you see he's repeating this over and over and over again in a bunch of different ways? For we hold that a man is justified and made upright, how? By faith, and he just goes right into the point, independent and distinctly apart from good deeds. What that mean? Works of the law. You're not made righteous by works of the law. The observance of the law has nothing to do with justification. I don't know if I believe that. That's up to you. But to observe the law to be justified disqualifies and devalues what Jesus did. And your works, the currency of your works will never be greater than the blood of Jesus. Verse 29. Or is God merely the God of the Jews? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Verse 30. Since it is one and the same God who will justify the circumcised by faith, which germinated from Abraham, and the uncircumcised through their newly acquired faith, so he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, for it is the same trusting faith in both cases. A firmly relying faith in Jesus Christ. Why in Jesus Christ? Because Jesus was the Messiah. He was the perfect sacrifice. That sacrifice is the sacrifice that atoned for you and my sins. If I don't believe he was God in the flesh, if I don't believe that he was the sacrifice, then my belief is not the right belief. I'm not believing on the right thing. Because it is his blood and who he was that made him a worthy sacrifice. 
as long as he remains a worthy sacrifice, you and me are good to go. But if you let somebody talk you out of who Jesus was, oh, he was just a prophet. If he was just a prophet, now he can't be a worthy sacrifice. Now all of a sudden, there is no price paid for our sins. Now all of a sudden, you and me ain't righteous no more. Now all of a sudden, we wrong with God. Now all of a sudden, the only way to be right with God is one day we got to be perfect by the law. To believe that Jesus was anything other than the Messiah unravels the whole gospel of grace. It unravels the whole New Testament that we live by. That's why you have to believe not just on him, in who he was and what he did. If you understand that, say amen. Amen. So are you righteous? How many of y'all believe in Jesus? All right, then you're the righteous. Say, I am the righteous. All right, so now that you're the righteous, now that you are right with God, how many of you guys know that that's not the end for you? I know that most of our entire lives, we were just trying to get saved and just do enough to be saved so we don't go to hell. But that is not, that's just the beginning of your walk as a believer. Let me show you something. Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Because there is a position that God needs his children to be in today. And that position is a position of privilege and a position of power. Romans 8, 14, and uh, we'll go up to verse uh, 17. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit, capital S, of God are what? Sons of God. So does the Holy Spirit live on the inside of you? Uh-huh. And being led by him, following his voice, following his way, following his leading, makes you and I a son. If you're the righteousness of God, you're saved. Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. You are a child of God. Now, I'm not just a child, I'm a son. You're a son or a daughter. But let's keep reading, verse uh, 15. For the spirit which you have now received, you're not catching the, the Holy Ghost. You got the Holy Ghost, amen? You have him right now. For the spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more in bondage to fear. He ain't trying to take you back to the law. He's not trying to make you scared of God. But you have received the spirit of adoption. I want you to think about this. A slave does not have the rights that a son has. I don't care what way you look at it. A slave has to work and earn and, 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 and barely get by and this, that, and the other, da, da, da. but a son, no, a son has inherited rights. The law and trying to live by the law will have you living like you don't have rights as a son. It'll have you trying to earn and trying to work stuff. But when you're a son or a daughter, you walk around with a different swag because you got a different understanding because you have a different privilege. You have a spirit of adoption, the spirit producing, the spirit producing, the spirit producing sonship. In the bliss of which we cry, 
Abba, Father, Father. What is bliss? Huh? Like Nirvana, happiness, no worries. I'm not, <laughs> Father, help me. That's not bliss. I have an attitude saying, Father, everything's all well. Everything's good. Everything's right. I have nothing missing like and broke. All is well with me. Why? Because I'm a son. I'm healed. I'm the righteous. I'm prosperous. I have all that I need because of my father. Verse 16. The spirit himself thus testifies together with our own spirit, cap, uh, lowercase s, assuring us that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit is constantly here not to remind you that you suck, not to remind you that you're a sinner, not to remind you like we were taught of every time you do something wrong. He's there saying you're a child of God, you're forgiven. You're a child of God, you're healed. You're a child of God, you got everything you need. He's constantly trying to convince you of the fact that you are sons and daughters of God. Is that not what that says? That we are children of God, yeah. Verse 17. And if we are his children, then we are his, now this is the part I really want you to see. His what? Wait, 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 who's heirs? Huh? You are heir of who? Whoa. You're an heir of God? What's an heir? Yes, it means you're righteous, it means you're son, but what's an heir? Think about kings and queens. A successor. One who has right to rule on behalf of the one who came before them once it's turned over. Your Christianity was never supposed to just stop at being saved. Widow old you finally got saved and now you can go to heaven. See, that's a trick of the enemy trying to hurry up and get your attention off of your power that you have right here on earth. You are to rule. I said you are to rule. Some of y'all are like, well, wait, 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 rule like what? I'm talking about rule like an heir of God. You have authority. Jesus came not to show you how to live perfect. I know that's what we were taught, but that's because we were being taught back then, this is how you need to act so you can be saved. I just showed you how you need to be saved. That was through believing. The actions of Jesus were not trying to show you how to be saved. The actions of Jesus were trying to show you how to be sons. You can walk on water if that's what's required. You can get fish out of uh, money out of a fish if that's what's required. You can raise this, uh, heal the sick. You can raise the dead. You have authority. That's what being an heir is all about. You're supposed to take the power that you have and the privilege that you have and go out into that world and change it on behalf of your father. And can I just say something real radical? And stop asking Jesus to come do it. He's in you. You're the new Jesus. Oh, y'all not ready for that? I didn't say you were the Messiah. 
I didn't say you were the savior of the world, of their sins. That's not what I said. You are the new Jesus, though. You're the new one who is to walk out there in authority. Okay, you don't believe. Amen. Then we are his heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Did he not just put you on the same playing field with Christ? I didn't put you there. So to stop at just being saved, do you see how short that is of the goal that God has created you for? To get stuck at, I, I, I'm just trying to work out my salvation, so that's why I'm still going. No, 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 you're free. Now get up and stand in your place of power and privilege. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. An heir is prepared to take on whatever the king did. You have on the inside of you all you need to be who Jesus was while on earth. You get all you need. I said you get all you need. And see, some folks, they get caught up in trying, what's my purpose? What's my, you know, I promise you it's going to be connected to your sonship or your daughtership. That, that breakthrough you're looking for financially is connected to your sonship or your daughtership. But, but it's going to be, it's going to require you to follow what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, and I guarantee you what the Holy Spirit tells you to do is going to have something to do with his children that are lost out there. I'm not saying everybody got to be preachers. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying everybody already is preachers. But you will minister the gospel through the gift and the grace that he's given you. You can be a doctor and still minister the gospel the way he says to you can be a lawyer, you can be a musician, you can be an athlete, whatever he has called you to do. But the thing is, is when you take, when you take that error part of you and try to hide it and put it to the side, you'll never reach all the financial success and all that other type of success you've been trying to get. They're connected together. I said they're connected together. Well, how do you know that? Didn't no money start coming into my hands until I started doing what God told me to do. I'm going to say it that simple. And it didn't have to hustle for it, didn't have to do all of that. As soon as I got in line with his purpose and will for my life, it just started happening. And it ain't stopped. And it ain't going to stop. Why? Because I ain't getting out of his will. It's, it's, guys, it's, it's really that simple. Well, wait, it's too late for me. You don't understand. I can't just quit my job. You do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do when he tells you to do it. Now, don't you go up there and start trying to create your own plans. I hit the spiritual lottery. I quit. You better, keep, you better go back and get that job. <laughs> but, but as soon as he tells you it's time to move on, do it and trust him. That's for somebody, but you know, and I, I, some of you already have done that and you're trusting him. Watch what happens. Amen? Amen. So, I got a note here. Stay away from a bastard mentality. Y'all got real quiet on that. This is one who believes they have no rightful claim. A person 
who doesn't believe they have a rightful claim doesn't know who their dad is. You got a rightful claim. And that's what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to convince you, that ain't your daddy. Look how you're acting. You don't look like Jesus. You don't look like God. But he didn't realize, you realize now, you got Jesus on the inside of you. And so every time God looks at you, he sees his son. And that's what makes you a son. Your works don't make you a son. It's the imprint of Jesus on your life that when God looks at you, that's all he sees is his son's blood, his son's image. You are his sons and daughters. If you understand that, say amen. amen. You are a child and the heir of God. Claim your righteousness by believing in Jesus. Go to Hebrews 4.3. Now, I presented to you some pretty interesting and radical, you know, statements in that way. Here's the decision you got to make. Do I believe in what Jesus did? Because I'll never get to the point of walking out my life as a son or daughter if I don't learn how to rest in what Jesus has done. That's the issue as we get caught up in this fight in our minds, this fear and this panic that we cannot achieve all that God has us to achieve. And we find ourselves working instead of resting. Uh, let's go to the New Living Translation of this first and then we'll come back to the uh, Amplified. It says, for only, and let's read this together. Uh, ready, read. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Let's look at it and amplify it now. It says only those who do what can enter his rest. Belief is the key to rest. Now, belief on what? I'll tell you that in a second. For we who have believed, adhere to and trusted in and relied on God, do enter that rest. In accordance with this declaration, who did not, uh, uh, sorry, in accordance with his declaration that those who did not believe should not enter when he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And he said, uh, although his works have been completed and prepared and waiting for all who would believe from the foundation of the world. I hope you saw that last couple of sentences. He worked this out for you when the world began. And this rest, who is Jesus, by the way, this Sabbath, who is Jesus, by the way, has been waiting with your righteousness, has been waiting with your sonship since the beginning. But you got to believe to receive it. Not work to receive it. You got to believe to receive it. The Bible literally says, labor to rest. Where does rest happen? He's talking about in your mind. You gotta convince yourself. That's what the Holy Spirit's there to also do by the way he helps you rest. He's convincing you're a child of God, chill out. You're a son and daughter of God, chill, it's good. Rest, 
No, but I gotta go do, I gotta go get this loan. Whoa, rest. No, but I gotta quit this job and go do this. Or I gotta go get a man. Or, or, or I gotta get a wife. No, rest. It's all worked out. You're working. And when you're working, God has to back up and he takes a rest. But when you rest, he can go to work on your behalf. This is for everybody who would believe. If you see that with me, say amen. Now understand that rest does not mean inactivity. I want you to say that with me. Rest does not mean necessarily inactivity. Well, you know, he said rest, so I'm just going to wait and God's going to fill this place up. I'm just going to wait and God's going to fill my bank account. No, 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 no. You got to do whatever the Holy Spirit now tells you to do. He may tell you, go on that interview. He may tell you, go on that date. He may tell you, uh, go do A, B, and C. It, rest does not mean inactivity. It means that I am ceasing from my own ideas and plans, and I'm going to do what God said to do. If you understand that, say amen. So, again, rest does not mean inactivity. Rest in work, not from work. Rest in work, rest in doing what God said to do, but don't rest from all work. This is talking about not having stress when we are doing what God told us to do. Not being stressed out, not being panicky, not being in fear when we do what God tells you to do. Because I need you to understand that if we are to say we're true believers, then show me your rest. Your rest is what authenticates your belief. If you're a true believer in what Jesus did, and we say he did it all, did he not? Then I ought not see you worried. I ought not see you in fear. I ought not hear you doubting yourself and doubting what God said. Fear is a sign that you're not resting. Worry is a sign that you're not resting. Panic is a sign that you're not resting. Now, if you're walking in fear, worry, and panic, is God mad at you? Oh, you're the righteousness of God. If you're, if you're walking in worry, panic, or fear, are you going to hell? But if you're walking in worry, panic, or fear, are you not resting in the finished works of Jesus? And therefore, are you at, at danger of missing God in the manifestation of his grace? Absolutely. And that right there is what captures and trips up a lot of believers. We don't see the manifestation of healing. We don't see the manifestation of prosperity. We don't see the manifestation because a lot of us are stuck on the sin issue. But for those who aren't, we're stuck on the rest issue. We go doing stuff and God said, I need you to stand right here, right now, and don't do anything just yet. Now, here comes the blessing. We get nervous. It's taking too hey, it's been a month. Okay, it's getting closer. Oh, it's been three months. They're going to evict me. Oh, I got to go get it loan. And it comes when you over here. It's not that it wasn't coming. It was you wouldn't rest. You wouldn't trust him. And so often you will, you will in the natural, in the natural, you will miss the Some of y'all don't miss the blessing because you threw away all the mail and he told you to read it. Because <laughs> you just thought it was junk mail. 
and your check right in the middle of that thing. About three, four people last week. I got a check in the mail I wouldn't expect. Sometimes he don't just say, it's coming, but he'll tell you where to get it. He'll tell you where to find it. And you don't want to naturally be in the wrong position and miss God. Again, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you wouldn't rest. If you understand that, say amen. Resting in God will always have you positioned for everything he has for you. Resting in God will have you right in the right position. And your rest authenticates your belief. The worrier, can I say that, Lord? The worrier will not receive God's best for their life. Not because they're a bad person. Not because God does not love them. It's because they're trusting in what they see, hear, feel more than what he said. They're not being led by the spirit. They're being led by that carnal or that flesh, which talks about being led by your five senses. That is reality and not God's word. And again, I want to separate the two because you used to hear messages like that and then it would say, so you in sin, so you need to repent. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the manifested uh, blessing of grace is trying to run into you but because you won't rest, it keeps missing. You dodging your blessing. It's there. God made it. But you won't run into it because you won't be where he's telling you to be. But he loves you so much he keeps trying to reposition you <laughs> And he's trying to send it back around to you, and you're like, miss me again. <laughs> I'm going to do this. Miss me again. I'm going to do that. And God's like, would you just stand still <laughs> and trust me? And I don't know if you've ever had this happen. And then you finally obey him, and it's almost like, boom. Yeah. You'd be like, wow, that was simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to chase you down with this blessing. God's trying to chase you down with the blessing. Rest. And show him that you really believe. Now, is it easy to do all the time? No. That's why you go to the word to remind yourself of his promises. Reading the word and his promises is what will practically calm you down. It'll get your mind right. It'll change the way you think about what's going on in your life. You don't use the word as a book of magic spells. If I, if I say this, then it's going to happen. It's done. This is to convince you of what you already should know, that it's already done. Say that with me. Say it's already done. Everything that concerns me is good, and it's already done. Amen. So you'll see God's best when you rest. When you rest, that's when you see God's best. People ask me, why are you staying so calm and this and that? I, I, I just got to rest. The older I got, the more I'm just realizing there's nothing else I can say, nothing else I can do, and the more I say, the more I mess stuff up. <laughs> the more I do, the more I mess stuff up. And that's, that's true for anybody. Sometimes you just got to know how to stop and rest. And if you can't say what the word of God say, it's best just not to say nothing at all. Because the enemy's job is to draw you off of your rest. His job is to get you to poke 
emotionally at you. See, your emotions can be used to lead you towards the will of God or away from the will of God. And you can't let no one or no thing poke you to move away from God's will. Oh, uh, I think I just did that yesterday. That's okay, honey. Just get right back on. Because also you don't make nobody, you don't let nobody make you feel guilty if you did get off. God's not holding that against you. So why are you letting other people hold it against you? See, this is you walking in your authority. Oh, that just sounds like arrogance. Well, call it what you want to, but I trust God. And if I make a mistake, he forgives me. And I'm right back on with him. If you understand that, say amen. amen. So you get God's best, or you experience God's best when you rest. Because you got it, but you may not experience it if you don't rest. Are you listening to me? So go with, uh, where are we at? Hebrews 4. Let's, let's go to... Uh, Verse 4, and then we're going to read verse 6. So go to the next verse here. It says, for in a certain place, he has done what? Said this about the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Verse 5. And they forfeited their part in it, for in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6. Seeing then that the promise remains over from past times for some to enter that rest and that those who formerly were given the good news about it and the opportunity failed to appropriate it. They didn't believe, they didn't trust it and did not enter because of disobedience. Worry, fear, all of those things will cause your belief not to be authentic. And they can cause you to not be in rest and therefore miss what God has. I don't want not a person in here to miss what God has for you. You got to have confidence and have peace that all is already done. Go with me to uh, John 6, 28. So here's the deal. Fear can't stop you. You got to be confident and you're going to have to work to enter and stay in that place of rest. John 6, 28. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? Yes. Amen. And then I, can, I think I can get to where, yeah, we'll get to where we need to end up. John 6, 28, it says, Then they said, What are we to do that we may be habitually, or that we may habitually be working the works of God? What are we to do to carry out what God requires? Verse 29, Jesus replied, This is the work of the service that God's acts of you. Oh, this is important then. Because if I'm on work, I want to do the work God wants me to do, right? What is the work God requires from me? That you believe in the one whom he sent. That's your job. Wait, I thought my job was to do the Ten Commandments. That you believe in the one whom he sent that you cleave to, trust, rely on, and have faith in his messenger. That's the work of every believer. Wow. My job is to believe. My job is to believe. Your job is to believe. That's the work we're supposed to be doing, is believing in what Jesus did. Now, you can't get... You can't get caught up in people who don't want to believe in what Jesus did and they want to go and work, 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 work. That's not your issue. Amen? 
Our job is to believe. The purpose of your, uh, sorry, the work of God is believing on the one that he sent. Let's go to this scripture and then we're gonna look at some things on the board here. Uh, Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to go to the New Living Translation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. So I work to do what? To rest. And the work that God wants me to do is to believe on who? The one he sent, who is Jesus. You got it. It says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Verse uh, 12. Are we, this is Paul writing, by the way, to the church in Corinth. He said, are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Verse 13. It Uh, Sorry, if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Verse 14. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Verse 15. He died for who? He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Did you know that as a believer, you're not supposed to be living for yourself? See, that's that's what that law-based system does. That law-based system puts a mirror in front of you and says, you better get it together because you end up in hell. And so you begin to work to be perfect, forgetting who you already are, forgetting that you're the righteousness, forgetting that, that um, I'm supposed to be believing in Jesus and I'm supposed to be resting in him. And instead now I'm working to live for me because I got to get it together. And that's in direct contradiction to what God needs you to be doing. You're not supposed to be living for yourself. I don't live for myself. I live for Christ. We say that, but then we go back home and we start living for ourselves. I got to get, especially now that I got to get mad. I got, I got to, and it's like, no, this, I, that, that's the, it's, it can't, I can't be the end of my prosperity. It can't be all about me. It's about Christ who died and was raised for them, for us. Verse 16. He, uh, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. Verse 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? New person. I think the King James says anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold what? All things are new. This version says the old life is gone. The old life is gone. I'm living for Christ now. The old life is gone. Wait, Archie, what about if I'm still doing something? The old life is gone. God doesn't see that old life. He sees you as you are, which is the righteous. And a new life has begun. But what, if I, what about if I just committed a sin that's old already? 
See, you don't sit here and let your past mistakes keep you in condemnation. I'm saying if you did something right before you walked in the room, the old life is gone. Well, that's not fair. I just feel like I ought to have to pay a price. I know it's not fair. I know you don't deserve it. That's what makes it grace. Your new life began right now. Oh, as soon as you walk out them doors, somebody's going to try to remind you of your old life. They're going to try to remind you of what happened yesterday or last week or last year, whatever. My old life is gone. You need to be like Paul. I have wronged no man. Paul, you do realize you killed a ton of Christians. How can you say you've wronged no man? Because my old life is gone and the new life is begun. That was Saul. That's not Paul. Some of y'all need to rename yourself in here tonight. I am no longer who that was. I'm new because of what Christ has done. Verse 18. And all of this is a gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's not based on merit. It is a gift from God, your Father who loves you, who brought us back to himself. You have nothing to do with the process. He brought you back to him. He rescued you. It's like that movie taking one, two, three, four, five, six. The father showed up and rescued his daughter. She kept, I'm like, girl, how many more times are you going to get taken? It wasn't because of her that she got out of that best. It was her father kept showing up with a special set of skills. And as a result, because he loved her, he just kept showing up. He just kept going to get her. And that's what God does with you. He just keeps showing up. His goodness, his mercy, his grace, it just keeps showing up. And it has forever rescued you from yourself. It's all a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has done what? Given us this task. Now here's your work. This is the first time in an hour and 20 minutes or hour, yeah, hour and four minutes, you've seen your work. Outside of working to trust Jesus and working the rest, here's actual work. Here's actual doing. And God has given us the task of doing what? Reconciling people back to him. You should never be the end of your prosperity. You are not living for yourself, you're living for Christ. And he is on the inside of you so you can go out there and be like Jesus in this world and tell people the good news that you're hearing tonight and reconcile them back to him. Tell them you have already been made right with God with your wrong self. While you were yet a sinner, go to the strip clubs, go to the bars, go to the corners, go into the trap houses. While you're sinning, he sent Jesus to die for you. What you mean? Say this with me. You the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness of God. Do I need to put this down? I'll just say it again. You the righteousness of, I'm the righteousness of God. Jesus died for you, and he made you right. The weed don't make you right with him or wrong with him. It's the blood of Jesus that does that. 
and the blood, as long as the blood's right, you stay right. And I guarantee you, once they get a revelation of that, I don't know if I need this no more. Because all of a sudden, the pain that this was numbing me from, I'm being healed on the inside. Because now supernaturally, the Holy Spirit has moved on the inside of me and his power is now starting to transform me. And now I'm hearing a voice I used to couldn't hear no more telling me that he loves me. Your job is not to transform them. Your job is to reconcile them to him and then back off and let him do what he does, which is save them. See, let me show it to you this way. God, who is love, by grace, sent his son Jesus to sacrifice for us all. We received forgiveness. And as we just read, we believe in that sacrifice. We believe in the reconciliation and forgiveness, having faith. Now we have to rest in what he did. Are you with me? That makes us the righteous. We receive righteousness, and we just read it a million times, by doing what? Believing. Believing in what? In Jesus, who was the sacrifice. Why did Jesus come? Because God loved you so much, and he graciously sent him. Are you with me? Once I realize and accept my righteousness, I am now saved. There's no works in here for me at all. All I got to do is believe. The path to salvation is simply to believe in what Jesus did. Now, once I am saved, I have now the choice to choose his will for my life. Once I choose his will for my life according to Romans 12, 2. Go there real quick. Romans 12, 2. Uh, we'll read out the New Living Translation. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behaviors of the custom of this world, but what? Let God transform you by, into a new person. Remember that new life we talked about? Into a new person by doing what? Changing the way you think. Who transforms you? The law? Your pastor? Your parents? Who has the responsibility to transform you? God. Here we are by our willpower all these years trying to read a million scriptures to change ourselves. And, it, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Bible. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm saying to try to read scripture apart from the transformative voice of God, that's what people, people are doing that for years. They pick up this Bible and they read it and, and they, they get a lot of knowledge, but they don't change. Why? Because they're trying to change themselves. God will transform you. Well, the word never returns void. I didn't say it was going to return void. I'm just saying it's going to take you a whole long time to change without him. He's the transformer. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn, or you will learn to know God's will for you. I choose his will. Lord, I want your will for my life. Okay. 
Lord, then transform me by your word. Okay, now you know my will. You chose it, but you don't know it yet until I start transforming you. You can't have good behavior without him transforming you. You can try, but it won't stick. Once he transforms your mind, now the good actions can come. Now the fruit of the spirit can be produced in your life. So that's why you don't go up to the person smoking weed. You don't go up to the person selling themselves. You don't go up to all of them trying to go right here. You see how crazy that is now? We start right here. You need to act right. You're way down here. They don't know about grace. They don't know about his love. They don't know the sacrifice. They don't know that they're forgiven. They sure enough don't know about believing and resting. They don't know that they're the righteousness. They don't know how to choose his will. They don't know he transforms them. And here we come with our judgmental selves going right to change. That's not what happened with you. He loves you. His grace is sufficient for you. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it, but you got it. A price had to be paid for your sins, but Jesus paid it full. And the Bible says that God remembers your sins no more. Sin is no longer an issue for your salvation. All you got to do is believe that he's forgiven you. You are the righteousness of God. And with this, you are now saved. Now that you're saved choose to live for him now that you're saved as a son and daughter of god you are an heir it's time to walk in your power now that you're saved see this is now when they come into church and they're getting the word and they're learning or if they won't come to church you taking the church to them and you're taking what you're learning in church and you're going back to the trap house you're going back to the strip club you're going back to the corner and you're sharing with them the good news that you just learned that's what we call outreach and as God transforms the mind, because you're talking to a stripper who's saved. <laughs> See, some of y'all, that, that messed with your mind. You're talking to a drug dealer who's saved now. Oh, but they're not, they're, not, they're not producing the fruit yet. The fruit's not required for the salvation. The fruit comes after the salvation. The fruit comes after the renewed mind. And your job is to go out and continue to minister that word because you're the only Jesus that they know. You're their pastor. You're their teacher. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you is connected with them and is ministering to them. And yes, you invite them to church, but they might not come. Some of y'all know they not, might not come right off the bat. And so you continue to get fed. And just like a mother bird, you take that word and you chew it up yourself and then you fly to where they at and you give it to them in a way that they can take it. And you just do that over and over and over again. And like the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. You out there with your wise self just sharing the good news of God and reconciling people back to him. It was never God's intention for us as believers to just get stuck on trying to be saved. But the devil said, if I can just get them caught up right here, stuck looking at themselves, trying to work it out. He never wanted you to know about grace because this was the key to it all. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. And once we started realizing that this was a free gift and all I had to do was believe, all of a sudden, it made salvation 
Really simple. His grace. Me believe it. I'm saved. Now that I understand this, I can get my butt up off my knees begging and crying for God to do something that he's already done and I can get busy about letting this fruit from my new root go out and minister to others. And that is what a Christian's supposed to be doing. Not begging God. To, to sit and beg God to do something that he's already done says you don't believe he did it. It clogs your ears from his direction. It stops you from having peace. Make a choice tonight that you believe God. Make a choice tonight that you are his righteous. Make a choice tonight that you're forgiven. Make a choice tonight, once and for all, that you're saved. And now, go to him and say, what's your will for my life? Transform my thinking so that I can know and learn your will for me. And your will for me is going to be good, pleasing, and perfect. Don't have to guess what my purpose is. I don't have to guess what direction I'm supposed to take. You'll make it real clear. And then get on the path. And never look back. Amen? Amen. Let's give God a head clap of praise for that. Did you get anything out of that tonight? Amen. Well, Father God, we thank and praise you again for tonight. And Father, we thank you right now that your hand is upon all that we do. And we thank you that we are already blessed. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Well, if you want to go ahead and sow, uh, you can put out your phones. You can put out those offering envelopes. Uh, we believe in giving, not for the sake of trying to be blessed, but we give because we are blessed. Amen. So uh, if you're giving by text, you can do that. Uh, if you want to give an offering envelope, you can fill that out. Uh, just so into the kingdom today while people are preparing those gifts if you need prayer for salvation if you need prayer for uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues we are firm believers in that or if you even want to join the church on tonight I told you we're going to read the word amen we're going to study the word uh, we believe in all thy getting get understanding wisdom is good knowledge is good but man if you don't understand what you think you know <laughs> and you don't understand how to hear the voice of God then what we know doesn't really mean much. So this is a word-believing based church. We believe in the gospel of grace. Uh, we believe in all the scripture and all the word, but we live by what the gospel of grace tells us. So if you'd like to join us uh, in just a moment, I'm going to invite folks down to the front. You can feel free to do that. Go ahead and take those offerings that you have. Let's raise them up. Father, we thank you that these are blessed in Jesus' name. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise for the victory that comes the seed has power to do all it needs to do. So we declare it done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ushers, you may serve the people. And as they're doing that, again, I want everybody to stand to your feet and minister to those who are nearest to you. Ask them if they need prayer for any one of those things. If they say yes, then help them come down to the front. If they kind of distance away, just give them a thumbs up, see if they're good. <laughs> Amen. Well, it looks like everybody's good in the house. Amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise for that. Raise your hands as we prepare to be dismissed. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Oh, we thank you for your love. We thank you that we are your righteous. And we commit, Father God, to continue 
to let our fruit be a blessing to others. I pray that all this week you continue to transform our thinking so that we would know your good and pleasing and perfect will for our lives. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. We love you guys so much. Don't forget Thursday night we'll be out at our south location. And then on Sunday we will be right back here to have a great time in him. Amen. You are dismissed.